Hi, it's Thursday, April 9th, 2009. This is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. Thanks for being here tonight. We're a little behind schedule, and that's because of me, and I apologize. I was caught in a meeting and didn't get out until late. So we don't have our usual snappy material. Uh, our slide set is not there, but we'll have to make do. We want to express our appreciation, especially to KnowledgeWorks, for sponsoring the Future of Education interview series and to Illuminate for providing additional support. Our topic tonight is Education in the Long Tail, Authentic Contributions by Students and by Educators. And we have a great panel with us tonight. If this is your first time in uh, Illuminate, I want to make sure that you have a little bit of an understanding of how the, the environment works. There is uh, a participant list. You can see people, 57 people who are here tonight. If you look at the bottom of that list, you'll see some emoticons, uh, clapping, smiley face, confusion, or down arrow. There you go, Dennis is clapping. Next to those is a hand with a green arrow up. You would use that if you wanted to ask a question. Uh, we'll do that uh, during the Q&A. Uh, below that, you'll, you have an audio box. If, in fact, we do call on you to, um, if you want to ask a question, we'll give you the microphone, and you'll click on that microphone icon in the audio box to start your microphone working. There is a chat window. I prefer if you go up to View Layouts, Wide Layout, it lets you see more of the chat easily. Uh, if you chat in there, you can chat to the whole room, or you can actually select an individual to chat to. Do be aware that those of us who are moderators see all of those private chats, so uh, nothing is completely private. I want to make sure that Ruth was able to do a sound check. Ruth, are you, were you able to use the microphone? Can we hear that you're okay? So you click that button once, uh, and uh, then your mic turns on. It looks like you're trying to click and it's not going. And if that's the case, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn on the telephone connection. Don't any of our moderators um, turn, turn this off. There's going to be a temptation to turn it off because you'll see it come up on the screen. Don't close that screen. That's our teleconference bridge. And uh, Ruth, you'll see a little button that will show up down by your audio mic button that you can click to come in through the telephone bridge. And it gives you a telephone number uh, that you can call. Uh, it's a toll-free number and a, and a number to enter. So uh, we're going to go ahead and start. Um, and uh, when, when you come in, you can let us know that you're in and it's working. We've turned that on, so we'll, we'll hear you. So tonight's topic is near and dear to my heart. It's one I'm very interested in. Um, it's uh, one that keeps surfacing for me um, as an area of interest and one I keep playing with and thinking about. So I'm excited to have a, a really fun panel tonight. This started with um, a blog post I did um, for Botanica that Ruth looked at in an article for THE Journal. And I'm, we're going to let Ruth talk about that a little. It also uh, maybe was predated by some conversations that uh, that I've had with Karen Hankey, who's been looking at this topic for quite some time um, and talking about the long tail in education. And so um, uh, many uh, people of, uh, Ruth, is that you coming in? That's me, yes. Oh, wonderful. OK, so Ruth, let's start with you. And uh, I'll, okay. while you're, you're talking, I will put a, a link into the chat window from the article that you wrote. But why don't you talk a little bit about that article and, and your thoughts and uh, what kind of conclusions you might be coming to with regard to authentic uh, contributions and participation. Thank you. Um, and hi to everyone. I'm just very happy to be participating this evening. Um, I, as far as you know, I'm concerned with, with the um, integration of new te technology in teaching and learning environments. The biggest struggle that I think uh, exists is, is that we have old methods and we have old ideas of um, you know, what education looks like and how it should be. And, and most importantly, we have old ideas of how to assess it. And I'm saying all of that to say that we really then miss so much of what actually can be possible with the new tools. So for example, we have an idea that the teacher is, um, you know, 
the expert, whatever, um, students are brought up to, to feel like that, uh, parents feel that, um, then you go to high, into higher education and you kind of pay money to listen to experts. So there, there's very much this sense of, of whoever is the teacher or the instructor knows way more than I do. The situation, though, is that that's really just content knowledge that's not really knowing in the sense of being able to participate and being able to grow and being able to apply. And I think what the new tools are able to do for us is, is, is put so much of that possibility into the hands of students. However, we're still kind of locked, if you like, in, into the old way of doing things. And, and we have courses that are organized a certain way. We have starts and ends. And we have uh, you know assessments that kind of are basically wrote uh, for the most part. And even those who use technology get very frustrated because they can't be as experimental or as creative as they would like to be because they're kind of bound by someone else's idea of, of what they should do. So um, you know, I, I feel, I sense that there, that there has to be a fundamental shift in our understanding of what teaching and learning looks like. Uh, um, I know that sounds incredibly idealistic, and I know that most of us live in the real world where we're, you know, we're, we're dealing with real things all the time. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, tomorrow morning we wake up and everything's totally different. Of course, we have to get there in gradual stages, but I think we have to be really um, I would say as educators right now, um, what am I trying to say? I think we need to not accept where we are right now. We need to really keep pushing ahead and realize that we're not there yet and allow not just the technology but the users of technology to really push us ahead in, into uh, more authentic learning environments. So we often um, talk about the I, change from, go ahead Ruth. No, that's fine. I, I just wanted to pause there and just see if there was any, you know, if you wanted to um, say anything more at this point. You know, I'll jump in and say, um, you know, we often talk about the difference between teacher-centric and learner-centric environments. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, it is. And, and I think that we've struggled with that for quite a while uh, in education. And I think we've, you know, the constructivist idea and so on has, has influenced greatly where we are. I think we're moving in a lot of really interesting and good directions. However, however, it's not so much about being, you know, student-centered or teacher-centered as much as being collaborative. And I really think the idea of collaboration is taking on new meaning in education. I think that it's not just about cooperating with one another. It's truly putting the ideas together, merging those ideas, building on those ideas, and going somewhere new with those ideas. And I think that's where the authenticity comes in and where the contributions come in. So in other words, there's equal value to, to the participants, to the contributors. So the whole idea of expertise is challenged. The whole idea of, of content knowledge is, is, is one you know, area simply of the whole entire learning environment. I don't know if that makes sense. I hope so. So Karen, would you like to respond to that? Um, Again, give a brief introduction uh, of yourself, and then maybe tie that to your thoughts about the long tail. Uh, sure, that sounds great. My name is Karen Greenwood Henke, and I'm the managing director of Nimble Press, and I'm also a board member of the Consortium for School Networking. And I've been writing and speaking about emerging technologies in education since about 1998. Um, and really throughout my career and my own learning process, I've always been interested in identifying new technologies that are, are making a difference in teaching and learning and that will solve some of the pers persistent problems in, in our public education system, as well as just for my own purposes. You know, I, I own my own business, and really it's up to me to learn and teach myself what I need to know in order to be successful. So I'm very much, you know, engaged as well in learning um, independently. So um, I really have to agree with Ruth. I think that a, a couple things are, are, you know, her notion that we really have old methods and old assessments and that collaboration is maybe more of the key going forward than sort of student-centric versus teacher-centric. Um, 
the, the way that I've been thinking about this maybe is a little bit different, and that is uh, that really, you know, if you think about our typical school system today, it's it's very constrained and, and kind of arbitrarily constrained. You know, it, it's really built around a classroom with teach with one teacher and a group of students, and that, and it's really the collection of students who happens to be in that classroom is pretty much based on where they live and what age they are. Um, and their assignment to the teacher might be somewhat arbitrary as well. You know, there might be two or three teachers to choose from and they assign the students accordingly. And so I think that what happens is that it, it's this arbitrary organization of students, but in, um, and, and so what we expect to have happen is that the student the teacher kind of walks in with this set curriculum and a goal to get every one of the students to meet certain standards, and yet, uh, you know, those students are coming into the classroom with really different, maybe in very different places. Um, you know, and while many of the students in the classroom might learn at the pace and in the method that most of the teachers are delivering their instruction, some of the students in every class are going to lag behind or maybe leap ahead a little bit. Um, and that those students are, are kind of falling into what I would call learning niches that aren't shared by the rest of the class. What's interesting then is that those students aren't in those learning niches, those students are as different from each other as they are from um, the students, the other students in the class, the mainstream students who are getting it. So I think this notion that we can just teach teachers to a lot of interventions that, you know, if the kids don't get it the first time in the first way, we'll try the second best way and then the third best way. But those students not getting it are probably as different from each other as they are um, from the mainstream. So it might be hard to, you know, hone in on what is actually going to work from them. Um, so that's what I call these little niches that might be developing. And if you think about, again, that structure of one classroom, what you have is maybe a few students falling outside the norm. And that's kind of okay, you know. But now we've got no child left behind, and we've sort of said to teachers, we want you now to be responsible for the whole class and getting the whole class to be successful. Um, and when you look at the number of students who are sort of falling behind, what you start to see is it's, not, it's, it's a few, and they're very different from each other from class to class. But if you aggregate those students across a whole school or a whole district or even a whole state, those, those, there are probably other students like them within the district or within the larger organization. Um, so what you see is that there actually can kind of form lots of little niches and maybe infinitely, <laughs> infinite number of niches across different subject areas and different grade levels so that eventually what you have is that you have this long tail distribution where these niches, the number of students falling into a niche is actually greater in aggregate than the number of students learning in the traditional ways. Um, and what I thought I might do is kind of draw a picture of that, if you can give me a blank whiteboard, <laughs> Steve. Um, because I think we can, I can show you what I mean a little bit better than I can describe it. So if you think about uh, this as the number of students, um, I'm sorry, this, this axis as the number of students, and this as uh, different ways of learning, what you might find in a typical class is that pretty much most of the students are kind of learning in one or two different ways. Um, and most of them are learning the main way that the teacher is teaching. Um, but, but you've got these other students who aren't learning the way that the teacher is teaching. It's not working for them. Um, and so in one class, the curve kind of looks like this. But if you aggregated all these different learning styles and different learning needs across the whole district or even the whole state, because they're different from each other, you start to get smaller and smaller niches and lots and lots of niches. So it, it really starts to extend out here infinitely. And um, so, you know, our whole curriculum is based on serving the needs of the people kind of over, over here in this area, 
and we're leaving out all these people, all these people down here. Um, and what I've heard from uh, Steve, and Steve and I have been talking about these ideas, is that a lot of these students down here, um, I think these authentic learning experiences are a great way for these students to, in a sense, teach themselves. Um, but also, what we see with technology and the collaboration tools that Ruth touched on is that a lot of systems will allow students to help to find each other. So if you are interested in something very specific, um, if you want to, if you're interested, if you're studying, um, say, English literature, and there's a book that you really, really love, but no one in your school is reading it, and no one you know is reading it, wouldn't it be great to find a group of students who really love that book also and be able to have a discussion about it? Um, share what you know, what you thought, share how it relates to your experience, um, and maybe even find a teacher who also loves that book and wants to help guide a discussion of students. And suddenly you can have a little niche group of students who are maybe going into more depth on a particular novel or uh, um, a particular math problem or a game. You know, there's sort of an infinite number of possibilities. Um, but that, that's what I see really happening, and I think the current, as Ruth touched on, the current methods and structures really prevent that from happening. You know, we've told teachers, don't be the sage on the sage anymore. Be the guide on the side. And then we give them 30 students a set period of class time and a structured curriculum. <laughs> you know, they have to be the, the sage on the stage. It's, it's very difficult to overcome that until we start breaking down the walls um, of the classroom and allowing some of these learning communities or learning niches to form. So Karen, you get 100 points for a great use of the whiteboard. Way to go. I want to bring um, Jim and Sarah in. Uh, Jim Bigley and his daughter Sarah. And uh, Jim and Sarah, would you introduce yourselves? And then uh, Jim, I'd like to hear from you um, how this relates not just to students but to educators as well. Yeah, um, Sarah and I are sharing a microphone here, so we'll have to um, well, trade off and on. But uh, I'm Jim Bigley uh, from Pennsylvania, and my niche, if you will, is uh, how teachers use technology to teach the uh, American Civil War. I, and I found that niche, if you will, by be, um, taking my passion for two different things. One of them is the Civil War. One of them is using educational technology and combining them together. And I actually did my entire doctoral dissertation around how um, teachers in Pennsylvania are using this technology to teach the Civil War. And, and I've used it from an educator standpoint to to help teach others so that other teachers can take what they're passionate about and start implementing the you know start finding their their promise uh, and what they want to do and helping them showing them how easy it is to roll this information out and get it out to students using simple techniques even if it's simple RSS feeds or or those types of things showing them how easy it is to um, to integrate this technology. It doesn't take a lot of time or a lot of, you know, the barriers are not there. Those are two of the biggest things that I found in my research. You know, they say the number one barrier is time. And the fact that you can implement this technology and it doesn't take a lot of time um, uh, to, to implement it. And it doesn't take a lot of technology to do. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah and let her talk a little bit about um, her project for a minute, if that's okay. Hi, I'm Sarah from Pennsylvania, and I am in the sixth grade, and my school doesn't have a lot of technology, and I have the same passion with my dad with uh, technology and using this in the Civil War. So my project is Silver Sally from the 11th Volunteer Infantry. And I created the wiki and the blog and the Flickr. Sally travels around looking for Civil War battlefields, museums, and schools learning about the Civil War. 
Oh, in the books that I create, I use pictures from the Library of Congress. I use Picasso to make collage them all together. And I took um, pretty much the whole background um, from what they had at Globster. And we took the pictures at Gettysburg. Oh, and the purpose of Sally is to help people learn more about the Civil War and help them learn about technology. No, my teachers did not grade my project. And I just won the Pennsylvania Regional Computer Fair. So I'm going to jump back in. Uh, Jim and Sarah, thanks for doing that. And, and uh, it's going to be really fun to hear from both of you tonight. So uh, Jim and I had this discussion when I was actually in Pennsylvania and met him and was intrigued by the fact that, that Jim's um, own passion as an educator was being allowed to flower in a way uh, that the technology was really enhancing. That previously, if he had wanted to uh, become an expert in using technology to teach the Civil War that he would have had to have published in journals and presented at traditional conferences and how how high that bar would have been for him to uh, overcome to, to develop that that passion and interest um, but the technologies are allowing him to, to really pursue some things that are of interest to him and if you look at his website it becomes in many ways his own portfolio as an educator and probably will, has and will create opportunities for him. And Jim, I hope you'll speak to that next time we, we put you on. Uh, and then to hear about Sarah and the degree to which her own educational experience is being driven by authentic experiences in contributing. It was very exciting to me to have both of them uh, there together. OK, so Ruth, I want to come back to you. And I want to ask a question. Uh, so for hundreds of years, we have felt very comfortable with students sitting in rows, all learning the same thing at the same time. What's changed? Is it the technology, is, or is it parental expectations, or is it both? Um, I would say that parental expectations are changing more slowly. I, I would say probably to, it's, it's you know result of technology. Um, I think things are changing so quickly for us all in our society, how everything gets done. I just went to my own doctor's office the other day, and my doctor doesn't even like come close to me initially. She has the tablet screen, and she's looking at all the data first, and she's you know doing my profile and all of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just thought to myself, wow, this is different. So. Uh, you know, I think that the technology is changing how how we do things. Um, but but the greatest thing I think that to me when I, when I was um, back in grad school, you know, when I first did my my first degree, it was back before you know the year dot or whatever, and it was before email and before all of that good stuff. And and then when I did my graduate work, I was you know launched into the world of the internet. And when I first touched the internet, I said to myself. This is going to change how we teach and learn forever. And, and what I think the Internet has done for all of us is bring an immediacy to uh, interaction, to communication, and immediately to authentication. Like I love your word, authentic contributions, because faculty that I've worked with over the years, people that I see use you know, the Internet, you're, you're excited about it. You immediately want to know, oh, can I do this? Or, oh, can I do that? So the customization, the level of input just raises incredibly. It's a technology that is immediate and is customizable, and, and it just changes everyone's expectations as soon as, as you start using the Internet. So for me, I think it's, it, it's now everyone's expectations are very much changing into, I want to be involved in this. I want to be part of this. I want to be able to take this and, and do something with it. Now, 
if I could just say, I understand that that's not absolutely every student that you're going to be working with in school or in college. I understand that everyone is socialized differently and people have uh, different levels of access to technology and so on and so forth. But I would say, you know, in our society in general, it has completely changed how things are done. And it has completely changed how we uh, perceive interaction, how we perceive communication, how we perceive information. I know educators are scratching their heads now saying, gosh, you know, my students just pull anything off the Internet and think it's the truth or think it's good because they got it off the Internet. So now we're faced with another, you know, whole bundle of skills in trying to help people organize information, authenticate information, and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, again, I think teachers need to be looking at those things. We as educators need to be looking at the implications of what technology has done and continues to do. Um, let's look. Let's think about Web two tools, and let's think about social interaction. How communities uh, are, are pulled together. The discussion earlier about the niches and the communities, learning communities. I think how those happen can be instantaneous. Now um, we used to have to work very, very long and hard at creating communities and getting communities built. Now it just can happen in an instant because of the technology. So I, I think we need to get past. The idea of I need to control this, I need to assess this, I need to make sure I know where this starts and ends as, as we're all more familiar in a linear environment and recognize that we're in a completely um, multi-layered web environment now. It has changed how we think and people want to be active participants. They should be active participants, but also the results of that collaboration need to push us farther into the future. We need to not want to be able to preset what those solutions are or preset where we're headed, but be, to be able to go through that process and get where we need to go in order to make sense of where we're at. So Karen, I see you clapping. Do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I just I, I think that um, oh, one of the examples that I've been using in my talks lately and that I think is kind of interesting as a real world application of this. Um, my husband is um, does visual effects and animation for films, and he was an English major in college with a lot of interest in art. And so he really taught himself how how to do what he does as a career. And and I think what I see more and more in the work world is that the people who are successful are the people it's not about taking tests. It's not about filling in the dots. It's really about being a nimble learner and being able to access information, learning to work in groups. Um, one of the sites that I often show is called Animation Mentor, and it was started by a group of professional animators who um, found that students coming out of uh, technology programs were learning how to use software, but they really weren't learning the nuance that you have to have in order to create animation that's actually entertaining and enjoyable. And so they created a fully online curriculum and program where the students learn animation by creating the animation and then sharing it with, an, with other students in their class and um, getting feedback from professional mentors who are actually working in studios today um, creating films. And it, it, it's just such a powerful example of also, I think, so many different ways that the students are engaged in that um, they have to have cameras and film their creative process. They film themselves drawing and sketching out ideas. It's not just all technology. Techno you know, it's not all about technology. It's also about having video chats with people, seeing reactions, showing exactly what you're doing. So I think technology has this opportunity to create really, really rich 
uh, learning environments, when someone did ask about authentic, uh, the notion of authentic learning and authentic engagement, and I think what we're talking about is um, like the Civil War project. Instead of learning, you know, learning about something because you really have a desire and a passion to learn about it, it's something that becomes authentic to your life, to your experience. Yes, I agree. I had a little bit of a technical lag there. I was, um, I was trying to catch up. So uh, did you finish, Karen? I didn't want to step over you in terms of talking. Yes, I did. Thank you. Okay, so I would like to see, I w I'd like to experience some of this video, and, and I'm wondering if Jim and Sarah are in a place where they could actually turn their video on. I'm going to turn mine on, and you will see me, and we'll see if they can come through. There's a little bit of bandwidth that gets used in the video, so I don't want to keep it on all the whole time. But there we go. There's Sarah. I'm going to clap. Hooray, Jim and Sarah. You are in a dark room. So, Jim, I want, I'd, I'd be in interested in your... A, a, go ahead. We're in a hallway of a hotel in Virginia Beach on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> You're coming in on your vacation. Isn't that great? <laughs> well, uh, Jim came in for me the other day. I did a keynote session where my uh, airplane uh, never took off, and I was supposed to be in Boston to do a session for the New England Board of Higher Education on using Web 2.0 to reach out to low-income and minority students. And um, so I ended up having to give the keynote remotely through Illuminate, and Jim was kind enough to come in from the National Civil War Museum and show people how uh, an expert could actually come in through an environment like Illuminator Skype and address a classroom. Jim, I'm interested in your own sense of how much, you, how differently you feel um, or how empowered, if I can use that word, you feel as an educator who can pursue a passion. Has that made a big difference for you? It's made a tremendous difference for me being able to um, pursue my passion in this way. I've been able to meet so many people that I, 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 don't, I wouldn't otherwise been able to meet without being able, without pursuing this passion. Um, I've met you know people from the Library of Congress or people from, you know, now I'm in conversations with the National Civil War Museum on how they can do that outreach or um, just different things that they can do um, that, that I wouldn't have been able to do before. And I'm talking to different people across the country um, that now also I found out have share a passion for the American Civil War. They can, they can, um, the, I'm able to, to to share that. I wouldn't have been. I would not have had that ability if I if I would not have um, if I wouldn't have done this project. I wouldn't have had that ability. I'm sorry. Somebody walked by and I had to I had to pause for a minute. Um, you, you know, I've met Kevin Honeycutt and I've met you know, and I just had a conversation with Eric Langhorst, who runs the Speaking of History, who's one of who I always looked up to as as someone I wanted to model in his classroom teacher, uh, and what he does in his classroom. So that it, it's just I've gotten to meet those people, and all of my friends on Plurk and and Twitter that that I'm able to to converse with. So Jim, we've lost your video. I don't know if you've turned it off or uh, being in the hallway of the hotel has um, created a conflict for you, but it is really fun to see you there. I don't know if Karen, if you or Ruth, either of you have a video camera set up, but you're certainly welcome to try doing your video. Karen, I'd like to hear from you uh, with regard to uh, kind of a, a response to this, meaning if I'm following my passion, if I'm working on things that I like, am I missing something? Is there a, um, am I missing rigor? And how does rigor fit into this? Yeah, I, I've really been struggling with this and um, have been recently working on a paper for the Consortium for School Networking on um, kind of what long-tail learning means for teaching. And 
Um, I think there's a really important place for schools in the use of all these new technologies as as we're learning and engaging and participating. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the wisdom of the crowds. Um, you know, our entire national conversation could be about Britney Spears or could be about something that kind of matters to the future of our lives. And so, you know, what what can we do to sort of create those learning niches and also um, push each other to be better and to be stronger and to be more rigorous thinkers? Um, I often give the example of dancing. I love to dance and I take dance classes, but before we even get to the choreography, we do stretching, warm-ups, sit-ups, push-ups. And you can't be good at the choreography unless you have the strength and the flexibility to do the dancing. So um, I think school has a really important role and teachers especially have a really important role in helping students identify that niche that they're really passionate about, but then also providing all that supporting structure that's going to make it possible to actually fulfill their dreams. You know, if a student dreams of being a doctor one day, and yet they aren't interested in taking rigorous math colleges, math courses in college, and no one's there to help them you know, show them that they need to take those courses, that student's never going to fulfill their dream. So we really do have to uh, work to provide to, to not just, you, you know, it's not rigor for rigor's sake, it's rigor with relevance. Okay, so that's my, my takeaway quote for the night, rigor with relevance. An another common uh, pushback I hear, and I'm interested in, in hearing both from Ruth and Sarah on this, is that not everybody is going to respond to these technologies and, and are we just creating a little bit of a geek aristocracy? Are, are just the students who are, gonna, who are interested in and responding to these technologies going to be successful if we move toward these environments? So Ruth, how do you respond to that? And then, and then I'll ask the same question of Sarah with, specifically related to her circumstance. I think certainly um, there is that um, uh, possibility, I guess. Uh, I actually was born in Africa, and I lived for the first part of my uh, first part of my life in the Ituri jungle in the Congo. And um, you know, I, I, I very much am aware of the fact that there are children in the Ituri forest this evening who have no idea of what we're talking about. Uh, and the likelihood of them ever being able to put their hands on a computer or, you know, understand the internet is, you know, ridiculous because they have no idea what we're talking about. So, uh, yes, and on one level, there are those who have access to technology and there are those who have not. This, however, is where I feel it's the responsibility of educators to take control of, of these wonderful resources, these tools that we have in the sense of exploration, creativity, pushing the frontiers because what I know about technology is this. I don't, I don't understand a whole lot about technology. It's changing rapidly. But, um, you know, if, if I think, if, if I'm using a particular technology today and I'm thinking, gosh, it would be cool if this could do such and such, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that thousands of other people have thought the same thing. And hey, guess what? It's in our next version. So it's constantly moving, it's constantly changing. And what I think is that, um, you know, it, it's a matter of, of, of understanding uh, this sense of, of person, this sense of authenticity, this sense of getting, allowing students to become excited and, and passionate about their learning and to become involved in it that's going to push us forward in education. If that happens, then it's not about creating an elite, it's about um, using the tools well and helping people learn, and I think um, out of that comes the bridges that are going to need to be built to to other people, um, to other uses, applications. It it just continues to go on. So again, like the quote earlier, not rigor for rigor's sake. Let me say, not technology for technology's sake, but the idea of technology for learning uh, and moving us forward is really vital in this conversation. So I think what I've heard you say that I really like is 
let's be really proactive. If in fact these technologies make a difference pedagogically, that they are providing opportunities, let's uh, let's work hard at not uh, just being nervous about them, but actually taking them and using them and allowing them to help a much broader range of students um, have these experiences. So I'm going to turn the camera back on, and Sarah, I'm hoping that you're still there. There you are. Okay, so um, Sarah, do you feel like what you're doing is unique? Do you have any other friends who are doing anything quite like this? No, this is really unique because and none of my friends are doing this. Can you think of ways that, uh, that it would be that schools could help your friends to do these kinds of things? Um, at my school, the teachers need to like change the way they teach and not just use the plain old textbook. They need to use like websites and videos and more field trips. Have you and your dad talked about this? You keep looking at it as though this is a conversation you've had before. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Sarah, uh, you, you've been using a wiki for Civil War Sally. Is that the technology that you like the best? Yeah. Yes. Was it hard for you to learn to use a wiki? No, because I had him. <laughs> <laughs> what, what other programs do you use that you feel make a difference for your education? You're learning. Um, the blog and the Twitter and the emails. It helped me improve my and like what I'm doing now is helping me improve my speaking skills. Skills and like doing the blog and the wiki. It helped me improve my writing skills too. And it gave That's me more confidence in doing this. Well, you're doing a nice job with your speaking skills. There's a question in the chat, Sarah, about how you use Twitter. Um, it's that it helps her. Like it helps people learn where about Sally's travels. So you have a Twitter account for Sally, and you tweet out the things that she's doing? Yes. And Sally was just with first graders, and they don't normally learn about the Civil War, but Sally helped them learn about Abraham Lincoln, and they created a voice thread about what they learned. Oh, voice thread. So you like voice thread? I've never tried it. Oh, good. Okay, so Sarah, I'm going to um, shift gears here a little. Thanks for those good answers. I'm going to turn your mic off because I'm getting an echo. So what I'd like to do at this point is to open up for Q&A. So if you'd like to ask any of our panelists a question, uh, Jim, Sarah, Karen, or Ruth, you can click on the, uh, you can either put it in the chat window or you can click on the hand with the green arrow up icon and we'll give you the mic and you can ask your question. So um, does anybody have a question uh, uh, to any of the panels in particular or a general question with regard to the long tail and authentic work? So there's a question here in the chat for Sarah. How does the use of technology give you an advantage over students who do not, that is, um, i.e., learning real life? Um, it helped me learn more, like learn, like meet teachers and learn more about technology. So it seems to me there's a little bit of a parallel there, Jim, because both for Sarah and for you, it provided you with entree and access to other individuals who could impact your uh, educational experience. Would you say that's true? Um, yeah, I'd say that's very true. Um, the other, there's another question here about Sarah, how are her friends using technology? Most of her friends, they don't use it in school. Um, they don't even, 
the, their technology is texting. A lot of their her friends are you know using email that sort of thing, but they don't really use it in the classroom that much. Um, I'll let you answer that one. There's another question in the chat, and it's: Do any of the teachers come and ask you questions about some, how to do something? Sometimes it depends on what I'm doing and like what they need help with. Cool. There aren't many computers. There's like one per class. Three or. There's like one or two per classroom and a computer lab, and that's all. Why do you think technology helps you learn better? Technology helps me learn better because it gives me like a new experience, and it helps me get more inf new information. It looks and like it we have a question from Bob. Bob, can I uh, give you the mic if you want to ask uh, in the mic? Or it's in the chat there. Again, another question for Sarah. I find this interesting. We're all drawn, Sarah, to asking you questions because we feel that you represent something so significant being a student using these technologies. So Bob asks, I teach sixth grade students also. What are some things your friends are interested in so much that they would want to create a project as good as yours? Maybe sports or I don't know. So I think that's a great answer, the sports answer. And again, I'm going to turn your mic off there just for a second because of the echo. But uh, Christian Still in the UK uh, does, has done some great work with youth who were struggling in school um, by uh, using Web 2.0 technologies to uh, have them do projects on sports subjects. And I think uh, we would all see the engagement aspect of that. Um, and the opportunity, I think, you know, for them to do something that they're interested and passionate about and have great success. And, and we'll look for a link for that and put it in the chat as well. Okay, so uh, we are at uh, about five minutes before the hour. And although we started a little late, I still like to finish on time so people know they can count on getting on with their lives and, um, and our interviews are bounded. So what I'd like to do is, if you have any more questions, please feel free to put them in the chat. But I'd like to give each of our panelists a chance uh, to kind of do a final statement. So Ruth, can we start with you? And um, is there anything that came out tonight that was especially exciting for you, or did we miss anything? Um, no, I, I just was very uh, happy to be part of the panel this evening. And I just have enjoyed, like everyone else, I think, uh, listening to Sarah and and looking through her project is really interesting, and for me, it's just a wonderful example of how a student can um, use the technology to actually uh, explore and learn uh, something that they're very very interested in. Um, I I did want to say one more thing though, and and that is that I that I, I want I want to make a statement that, that technology is not a subject. It's not something that we need to focus on in terms of learning everything we need to know about technology. Um, there's been some questions there this evening about, you know, rigor and content and so on. There's always going to be um, the necessities that people need to know and need to learn in order to function in society and so on and so forth. I think so what we're saying with technology is while we're not focused on trying to learn everything we can, which I think is what paralyzes some teachers initially. It's like, I don't know enough. Well, we'll never know enough. Nobody's going to know enough. So it's not about focusing on learning everything we need to know about the technology, but understanding that it can push us beyond just deciding what those students, I hear so many teachers saying, this is what I want my students to know. Um, no, I want my students to learn. And so they may come up with things I haven't even thought of. They may push those boundaries and those outcomes to where I wouldn't have dreamed it. And so this is what technology can do for us. It's a wonderfully dynamic, it can create, help us create wonderfully dynamic learning environments that push us way beyond where we would even imagine we could be. Thank you for the opportunity of speaking here tonight, sharing with you all. Ruth, thank you. And I'm going to put your, um, uh, we put your article link in the chat and want to recommend it to people again as a, uh, what I thought was a really terrific article and not just because it quoted me. 
Karen, would you like to have some final <laughs> words? Sure. I, I really, I guess I've just always really believed in the possibilities that technology offers to us. I think it, it has the <clears throat> technology for all of us, gives us so much potential and helps us access our potential. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think without technology and education system, we can't get to the customization, the aggregation, and the opportunity to match people with unique talents and interests efficiently and effectively. Um, and I also think we're just at the very beginning. <clears throat> and if Twitter works for you, it might be great for one teacher, but it's not necessarily what everyone else needs. I think what we're seeing with students is a diversity of um, hardware and software choices. They're not all using the same tool. They're gravitating towards the tools that work best for them. Um, you know, and, and what whether you're a teacher or a student, I think what the long tail technology systems are going to help you do is they're going to understand who you are, where you are, and that provide you with what you need and when you need it. So we're we're moving towards technology systems that are just are becoming more and more aware of what we want and learn with us so that they can help us become better learners. So thanks for that, Karen, and thanks for just a great discussion over the last 18 months um, with regard to this. I appreciate your leadership in this area, and we'll look forward to hearing more from you. Okay, so Jim and Sarah, uh, last words? Um, thanks, Steve. I just wanted to say that um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great experience. This, this, this opportunity not only does it allow me to to meet other people and talk to them, it's also given me a lot of quality time with my daughter. Um, and someone had asked in the chat, you know, what do other parents think? And some parents they don't want their kids learning about the technology in the school. They don't, you know, they don't monitor what their kids are doing, or they don't care. They're just saying they're online and. You know, this has given me a chance to teach Sarah, you know, good technology skills and allow her to take uh, the passion that she has and share it with others. Um, and, that, and that's, and I can really appreciate that one-on-one -on -one time that I have with, with Sarah here. So I'm going to let uh, her say a few final words. Thank you for letting me be here. And if you know anybody that's going, that is learning about the Civil War or has a Civil War battlefield or museum near them, let me know at civilwarsally at gmail.com. And so I can come for a visit. And there was this question in the chat that was, how do you, like, what's the difference between texting, email, and Twitter? Well, for the first thing, I don't do much texting. And the difference between that is probably, like, you can meet different people instead of, like, the same old. And you can, like, and it's also a better way to communicate. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I hope you have a great vacation. Same to you, Dad. Love the point about uh, you're being able to spend time together in this way, and I think that uh, that maybe will provide us with some opportunities for future discussions. Uh, there's the head on the shoulder. Hope you're having fun, whatever you're doing. Okay, I'm going to use the clapping hand to give thanks to everybody. Uh, those of you who were on the panel, thank you so much. Those of you who spent some time, many on spring break, uh, being here. This this was the fastest hour I've had in a long time. Uh, I think the the information here and the ideas are, are so fun to think about. Our thanks to KnowledgeWorks for providing this environment um, and for, for supporting the interview series and for Illuminate for providing the environment. We do have a survey, and I'm putting it up in the window. Don't any of the moderators close that down. Uh, I'm going to apologize to the two people who raised their hands. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close, but we'll 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 let people leave, but if you want to ask your questions and anybody wants to stick around, we can still address them. I just want to make sure that those who were counting on being out uh, at the end of the hour could leave. So L, K, Her, and E, H, Vickery, please uh, feel free to ask your questions. Um, the rest of you, if you wouldn't mind filling out the survey, that would be great. Have a great uh, rest of your evening, and thanks to everybody for participating. 
Okay, so I'm going to give you each the mic, and you can either put your question in there, or you can, uh, so L. Kaher, it looks like you've taken your hand out. E.H. Vickery, did you want to ask a question? Or maybe you were clapping and you hit the hand-raising button. Got it. Okay, well that was really fun. What a fun evening, and uh, what a great topic. Thanks to you, Ruth, for, for that great article and for bringing it up, and uh, Karen, for, for all of the good work that you're doing, and Jim, what, what fun to continue the association after that short conversation in Harrisburg. Sure, sure been a lot of fun to stay in touch with you on this. Did anybody else want to say anything or uh, bring anything up that they didn't get to bring up during the session? Karen says she's still trying to figure out Twitter. So I, I found that Twitter, for me, works wonderfully as an announcement platform, uh, much less as a conversation piece. Adina is just um, posting a, a comment there. Thank you, Adina. And Adina is a pretty active Twitterer. Uh, and I'd be interested in hearing from you, Adina, if you want to talk about your use of Twitter as a conversation tool. I find it, uh, I like it better for announcements because for conversation, it's hard for me to, to get uh, long blocks of quality time if I'm following Twitter. Jim says he uses Twitter now that he has TweetDeck. Adina, can I give you the mic? Do you want to talk about your use of Twitter? Steve, I was just going to say that um, now that I have TweetDeck, I can actually set up searches so that when someone talks about Civil War or teaching the Civil War or Civil War Sally or even, you know, and I can see that and then I can reply to them and say, hey, check out my blog or hey, check out Civil War Sally. So with TweetDeck, I'm able to capture that, that information and enter it in. So it, it makes it a lot easier. So that's a really good point. And you know, Jim, I do the same thing with NetVibes. I actually have a NetVibes page that lets you put um, you know, little Twitter widgets on it. And I track seven or eight phrases that I want to follow. And I also use it, I can also put in widgets for the different Twitter accounts I have so that I can post to, to Twitter without having to um, log out and log in as different accounts. And, you know, Christina says she uses NetVibes maybe too for the same purpose. But I do find that that's a good way for me to use Twitter is to, to actually search. And of course, I search on my name. So if there's a conversation that I come up in, I can respond. Uh, I search on uh, Learn Central, which is the, the social networking platform I'm working on right now. Um, and when I go to a conference, I always put in a widget for the conference hashtag so that I can see the discussions that are taking place at that conference. Other uses of Twitter? You know, the one uh, web service I like for Twitter is itweet.net. Uh, I, I really like the functionality of that. So when I am in Twitter, I use itweet.net. So who can quickly give, there is a, uh, there's either a Google Doc or a, um, a wiki page that has educators' Twitter, uh, Twitter addresses. Does anybody know that? And we will, there will be a recording of the chat so that you can look through the text version of the chat just if you want to see that. There's also a full recording of the Illuminate session. There we go. Thank you, E.H. Vickery. I'm going to make that a linkable by putting the HTTP in front, and then it will show up as a hot link for you. Yeah, so I mentioned Plurk. Um, Plurk is, I like Plurk a little bit better because I can follow that conversation. Um, and the fact that I'm able to ask a question, and I don't have to go looking for the at replies. It's right underneath that question that I have. So I like Plurk a little bit better, um, just for for doing that sort of thing. Do you find the same people that you want to be uh, engaged in conversation with are are in Plurk? Um, good night, everybody. Thanks for letting me be here. Hey, thanks again, Sarah. Great job.
Thanks, Jim. Yes, thank you. This is Ruth, too. Thank you for letting me participate this evening, too. I appreciated it. Thanks, Ruth. You did a great job. Sure appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Okay, I'm, I'm officially letting everybody go. You don't need to stick around. You're certainly welcome to go. Thanks for coming tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Great work. Have a great evening, everyone. In about three minutes, I'm going to kick everyone out of the pool so that the recording will process.